Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm your host, Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 311. Today's show is brought to you by Blinkist. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living Inside Science series, our guest today from the Pulse of Modern Medicine program is John Tisdale, MD. Dr. John Tisdale is Chief Cellular and Molecular Therapeutics Branch National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, one of the 27 institutes within the National Institutes of Health. Dr. John Tisdale will be the featured expert presenting as part of the Pulse of Modern Medicine program January 15, 2019 on the subject of sickle cell disease which affects 100,000 Americans and millions around the world. Sickle cell is an inherited disease which affects the hemoglobin in red blood cells that carry oxygen and results in severe pain and early mortality. Dr. John Tisdale will discuss with us today a new curative therapy for sickle cell and the work NIH is doing to cure this disease. Please join me in welcoming via internet phone to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. John Tisdale. Dr. John Tisdale, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is a popular program, the Inside Science Program, the Pulse of Modern Medicine. So it really is a pleasure to be speaking with you. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about sickle cell today as part of the multi-part series included with the Smithsonian Associates Program. And I wonder if you would tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates portion of the presentation. So I'm going to be speaking uh, about our efforts over the past couple of decades, actually, to try and come up with a widely available cure for this disease. Um, you know, I initially got interested in sickle cell disease when I was in my training. Uh, it's a really devastating disease, um, and there were no specific treatments when I was in my training. And it was a real surprise to me because it was the first disease for which the molecular defect was uh, elucidated. That was by Linus Pauling, uh, published in 1949. So it really seemed strange to me that we didn't have any specific therapies. Uh, so I pursued uh, training in hematology, which would then enable me to, 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 to try and come up with uh, something where nothing existed. And um, so I'm going to be talking about the progress that we've made over the last couple of decades uh, at getting to the point where we may um, be soon able to, av- uh, to offer a widely available cure uh, for this disease. And when you say cure, it really involves this defective sickle cell gene being removed. In my research of you, I found this, uh, this term, I thought very interesting, it, was, it, it refers to this curative therapies. And so I wonder if you could tell us the distinction between curative therapies and cure of sickle cell. Well, curative therapies and cure should really um, be the same. Um, our intention is to develop curative therapies. So, you know, we're always a little afraid to use the word cure mm. until we've gotten all the way through the hoops and we have patients that are eight or 10 years out from whatever the, you know, whatever the intervention was and they no longer have any signs of the disease, no signs of recurrence, uh, much like you do in cancer. I mean, in cancer, we we use that word sort of sparingly, too. Uh, even when we're generally sure that the tumor's gone, we always know that there's the possibility that it can come back. So 
we want to be beyond that period where we think, you know, things could turn around and the disease come back before we use the cure word. But we have our eyes set on developing the kinds of therapies that would, you know, result in mm-hmm, a cure. Mm-hmm. People with sickle cell often suffer severe pain. And so I, w- I wonder if the removal of the gene uh, ends up eliminating or lessening the effects of uh, maybe those other effects of sickle cell, uh, you know, the, the, the pain that comes with it, the severe pain, the, the blood vessel conditions and organ failure, stroke, etc. Right. So everything in this disease results from one letter being wrong in the spelling of a gene that, um, you know, tells a, our body how to make a part of our hemoglobin. You know, hemoglobin inside the red cell, carries oxygen around, um, and it has uh, four parts, two alpha chains, two beta chains, and it's beta that's misspelled. It's one letter out of about 1,500 that's wrong. That causes the hemoglobin to come out of solution, become hard, you know, precipitate out in the cell. The cell then becomes rigid um, and can get stuck in the blood vessels. It's also fragile, so it breaks very easily. So patients have pretty severe anemia, but the, but the one thing that gets them to medical attention over and over is when the blood vessels block, are blocked by these abnormal red cells. And so whatever is being supplied by that blood vessel doesn't get its oxygen. If that's a muscle, you know, it's, it's, it's really bad pain, like when you are exercising beyond your you know, aerobic threshold. So um, in this case, it's beyond it because there's no blood getting to the, to the muscle. Um, when it happens in bone, it's also extremely painful. When it happens in the brain, it causes a stroke. So children with sickle cell disease can have strokes, um, you know, like elderly patients with vascular disease have. When it happens uh, in the lungs, it can cause uh, permanent damage. I mean, just every organ in the body is affected by it. But it all comes from this abnormal hemoglobin that's from one letter being misspelled in the gene for part of hemoglobin. Hi, it's Paul. We'll be right back with Dr. John Tisdale. You know, even as we grow older, it can be hard to find time to sit down and learn more. You know, I often feel overwhelmed even when approaching learning and reading. You may think you don't have time to read a book, not know where to find great books to read, and to develop yourself. As we age, developing ourselves is a priority for all of us. So there's a new app I highly recommend. It's called Blinkist. Yes, the app is new, but it takes and builds on the best features and offers the best takeaways, in other words, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down in just a 15-minute read that you can either read or listen to. But most of all, you're going to learn. You learn what you want, and you'll want to know more. Importantly, Blinkist is made by busy people like our Not Old Better Show audience, who want to get the main points of books quickly and then decide about reading more or even without reading the entire book. 
With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on errands, working out like me, or doing chores around the house, also like me. <laughs> Eight million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help books to business books to health and history books. So far, among the popular books I've read, The Memory Place, The Science of Why, A New Earth, one of my favorites, The Snowball, the Warren Buffett and the Business of Life book, fantastic. You can browse by category like health and science, the topic of today's great interview, which we'll be right back with. Personally, I loved Who Should Read These Blinks? That's a special feature within Blinkist, and it's where you can get tips and insights and other details about whether you'll enjoy the book. It's really great. I hope you give the app a try. Read some of the summaries. The free seven-day trial is a great way to find out if you like the app and whether you want to pay for such a great service because that's exactly what I did. I like Blinkist because I used the app for free for a while, and then I decided to move on with a paid subscription because that's how much I fell in love with it. And I hope you'll do the same. I think it's a great way to consume more knowledge in less time, which we are all interested in doing if we're honest with ourselves. Enjoy Blinkist and keep reading, learning, and getting better. The Not Old Better Show. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has given a special offer to the Not Old Better Show audience. So go to Blinkist.com slash N-O-B-S to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash N-O-B-S to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash N-O-B-S. Thanks, everybody. We are with Dr. John Tisdale. Dr. Tisdale will be presenting as part of the Inside Science program, The Pulse of Modern Medicine. Coming up soon, uh, Dr. Tisdale, on the 15th, we're looking forward to this presentation. Uh, interesting to hear you say it is just one letter that causes all of this, this, uh, this severe pain. And uh, so we appreciate you going into some detail. I wonder if the removal then leads to normal cells being produced consistently? Uh, that's correct. So we, I will outline three different ways that we've tried to approach fixing this disease. So by way of background, red blood cells that are the abnormal cells in sickle cell disease because they carry the hemoglobin that's misspelled, they're, they're made in the bone marrow. So they come from bone marrow stem cells, just like all the other cells in the blood, white cells, platelets, red cells come from stem cells in the blood. So our strategy has been to either replace or repair those stem cells from the bone marrow. The obvious way to do it um, is to just replace the bone marrow. So we spent about a decade trying to develop a way to do bone marrow transplants uh, in this disease. So we get somebody else's bone marrow that doesn't have sickle cell disease, do the transplant, and hope that those cells take, grow new red cells, and the patient doesn't have sickle cell disease anymore. 
And that actually works now. So we can do transplants in patients using a donor, um, someone in the family who doesn't have the disease, and cure the disease. And that taught us what it would take to correct the disease. We discovered that we don't even need to replace the bone marrow altogether. We, if we get about 20% of the stem cells from the donor making blood, then all of the red blood cells will be normal because they're so much better, so much better fit these red cells, and they live so much longer that they just take over and the patient doesn't have sickle cells anymore. So about 20% was the mark. So that allowed us to then ask the question, can we use all of the new genetic tools that we have to fix the patient's own bone marrow instead of getting bone marrow from someone else? Because bone marrow from someone else present a problem. You know, they're hard to get them to take because the immune system tries to reject them. And when they do take, that immune system can try to reject the patient. So the complications of doing a bone marrow transplant from someone else that you can avoid by just taking the patient's own bone marrow and fixing it. So I'll spend most of the time talking about our efforts based on those observations of curing patients with someone else's bone marrow uh, and applying uh, what we learned there to allow us to try and fix the patient's own bone marrow and then give it back in the form of a transplant. And so once that once that once those cells, I guess, are returned to the patients, does that lead to the production of this this uh, hemoglobin that is uh, uh, what's the best term anti-sickling? Is that the way to say that? So anti-sickling is a good way to say it because the normal beta globin, when spelled correctly, doesn't sickle, and we can make minor modifications in that to make it even more anti-sickling. Um, so one of the approaches is to transfer the correctly spelled gene to their bone marrow and then do a transplant. That we now have in clinical trials, um, and we've seen successes with that approach, where we take the patient's own bone marrow, we add a copy of the correctly spelled gene, and then we give it back to them in the form of a transplant. This way, we actually leave the defective gene intact. So we have to do that efficiently enough that we outcompete that defective gene uh, with the new gene. That we have in the clinic, and we have patients now who've you know, had a normalization of their hemoglobin. They're not anemic anymore, uh, and they're not having pain uh, anymore. And these are both early indicators uh, that uh, this might indeed be a way uh, to cure patients. But as I said earlier in the segment, we need more time uh, to follow up these patients to make sure that this is durable. The second technique is the one you were alluding to, and that is cutting out the misspelled gene. We have these incredible tools now that were discovered in bacteria uh, as a way that bacteria actually resist infections with viruses. They can sample a piece of the virus, store that and, you know, they have these scissors deployed next to that sequence so that if that virus ever enters that bacteria again, the sequences will bind and the scissors will cut and kill that virus. So we can actually engineer that system. It's called CRISPR-Cas9 to cut anywhere in the genome we want. So in this case, what we'd like to do is take a bone marrow stem cell or stem cells from patients 
with sickle cell disease and use that to cut where the mutation is. So we cut the misspelling right at the misspelling. And if we add what we call template DNA, that's like a cheat sheet with the correct spelling, if that's present when the cell goes to repair the cut that we made, it can use that cheat sheet to correct it so that we now have the correctly spelled gene in the cell's DNA now corrected forever. And if that's done in a stem cell, which renews itself and makes all of the blood, if we give that back to the patient in the form of a transplant, we would expect that if we were efficient enough for the rest of that patient's life, they would be making the normal hemoglobin now and not the abnormal one that you know causes all the uh, uh, difficulties that patients with sickle cell disease experience. As I say, fascinating. Uh, Dr. John Tisdale, just one final question for you then. Sickle cell is a painful, uh, life-threatening disease. What about the procedures? Are they safe for the patients? So these procedures are bone marrow transplants in their current form. So they require that we give medication uh, chemotherapy to what we call ablate their own bone marrow. So once we've taken their cells out, fixed them, we freeze them, and then we bring the patient in chemotherapy to knock out what remains in their bone marrow. So we want to get rid of the cells that make sickle cell disease. Then we thaw those cells that we've corrected and give them back in the form of a transplant. So this is a potentially dangerous procedure. Bone marrow transplants are not a walk in the park. Um, you know, it's a, it's a prolonged hospitalization. Uh, it's about a month that patients are in. They get chemotherapy over the week before the transplant. Then they get the cells. Then there's a time where uh, we're waiting for the blood counts to, to recover coming from the cells that we've given them. And that's a period where they're susceptible to infections because we've knocked their immune system down and um, we have to transfuse them to hold their blood counts up. Uh, and generally the recovery happens over two to three weeks and so they're out by the fourth week. Um, having said that, this is a procedure that we've been doing for decades now. So we know the kinds of infections to anticipate. We have the blood transfusion support that we can deliver. So, you know, it's a relatively safe uh, procedure, especially when you consider the devastating consequences of the disease and you compare that to the risk of the transplant, you know, the risk-benefit ratio if we're able uh, to, um, uh, to cure the disease uh, is one that favors, uh, you know, going through with this. Dr. John Tisdale, thank you so much for your time today. I'm encouraged to hear about some of these promising, uh, potentially, uh, and, and early uh, results. And uh, we're excited to hear more from you on the 15th of January, the Inside Science Program, The Pulse of Modern Medicine. Dr. John Tisdale, thanks so much for joining us today. Just a, a fascinating report. Uh, and thank you for your interest. Remember, Dr. John Tisdale will be the featured expert presenting as part of the Pulse of Modern Medicine series, January 15, 2019, at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. on the subject of sickle cell disease. You can find out more, including ticket details, by checking out our website. Thanks to Blinkist, 
And thanks to Dr. John Tisdale for joining me today. And thanks to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. The Not Old Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody. 